Thank you so much. So how I got into thinking about decentralized autonomous organizations and Web3 was actually mostly speaking about what I was viewing and what I was hearing from peers and colleagues in the art world in Berlin. And this was around 2018. And this moment, I was working as a writer and critic. And it was a space where probably many of you know Berlin, but it was a moment where gentrification was hitting Berlin much harder than we'd seen before. There was a lot of loss of spaces. And also, people were very much questioning what these tiers of the art organization were providing to the artists and cultural workers. And the reason why I want to particularly embed this talk within what I learned personally through the structures of the art world is because I do actually believe that the art world is a test bed or a site that can leak and bleed into most social organizations. The problems that we face in the art world of disenfranchisement, racism, gender inequality, classism, are not problems that are solely within the art world. And so a lot of this research, although was done there in these translocal, quite diverse communities, but based locally within the Berlin setting, I think are appropriate to be spanned out into other communities. So, where was I? So the 2018 in Berlin, and uh, Kunstwerker, because I was like organizing and yelling and <laughs> running my mouth about all of these inequalities, um, there was a curator at Kunstwerker Berlin, Tirad Zagora, who basically was like, I tell you what, I'll commission research, and you write me a paper on how things can be done differently. And so I took him up on that offer, and at that moment, I was doing a lot of research about decentralized autonomous organizations, which were originally a philosophy and thinking of, um, actually, Mikael just spoke really briefly about it, about how um, DAOs are a software framework to allow for groups to make decisions and typically share or hold resources in a more horizontal way, potentially. And they are actually blockchain-based code that implements the governance of an organization that can and may control its funds and resources. The first frameworks for DAOs were actually set up on Ethereum and triggered by smart contracts and with trustless systems. Um, so, in a sense, how I was thinking through these systems was also, in a way, bastardizing them, because I am crypto-critical. I do believe that their technology should be social, and it should be manifested within emergent frameworks of how the user needs the technology, and so, therefore, putting cultures before structures. And so how I reread Dao thinking was I tried to demarcate it onto the problems of the art world within the local Berlin scene. 
And one thing came to mind almost immediately, and that was how the Berlin art world has a big problem with what we phrase as grooming. Now, grooming is when particularly blue-chip galleries, the very high-end galleries, museums, institutions, they take an artist who has already come to a certain point of their career and they sort of skim off the top. But they forget all of the things that fed that career. So whether that be the unpaid cultural workers, the project spaces, the materials, and so forth. And all of this way to build up an artist from its nascent state, they don't feed into any of these pools. So in a way, what I was trying to do was hold them accountable. And so I took this notion of a DAO, and a DAO typically has stakeholders, and they stake into the DAO, into the community, and then they use typically a proposal-based system on how those resources are then spent and given over to the users and the stakers of that DAO. But I didn't believe that the artists and cultural workers should be the stakeholders. I believed that the people who were at the top of that position, who were holding the resources, the gatekeepers of the arts, should be the stakeholders. So I tried to create a paper prototype about calling on silent stakeholders who were institutions, museums, collectors, patrons, gallerists, who basically had resources to offer to a pool that was then able to be controlled by the users, the artists and the cultural workers. And by basically kind of running through this system, with a lot of small other parts, which were on a little bit of a time uh, difficulty, so I'm not going to go into all of those, but I wrote this paper called a speculative um, paper for Black Swan. And from this, actually, um, a group of peers around me said that this paper could be possible. And so over the years, since 2018, I've had a whole host of amazing peers and friends within the scene, both technologically and artistically, who've actually managed to create this DAO system in many different beta versions. And so from this originally small paper, we now run Black Swan DAO, which actually also places to the heart of its production within the schematics of role play. And so there's a lot of research that actually systematically tests out through assemblages of users and um, people within the scene, metaphorical and potential speculative designs before it's even committed to technology or committed to code. And that's probably another thing that I want to bring up, that whilst working through this lens of decentralized autonomous organizations and through the way that its mechanisms work and how it speaks and signals, that's actually something that Black Swan has done through role play and through paper prototyping. So also at the back of the mind of all of this research and working methodology has also been, and I'm sure we're going to hear more about that in a second, but, of course, the critical components of using this emergent new technology, not only from a carbon level, but also from a commitment to 
facilitating and implementing code without first testing and looking through the lens of those people who will use it. And we have created from this um, particularly a work um, called Signet, which is actually available to use all of the technological toolkits that we're producing. Um, we aim to open source after they've gone through a certain level of testing from our own communities. And Signet is actually a quadratic voting application, so that's a collective decision-making procedure which actually utilizes individuals by allocating different votes to express their degree of preference. If you remember before, I spoke about this notion that the resources are given out to specific proposals. So you need to be able to vote on that, right, in order to do that. And this way of utilizing quadratic voting actually seeks to address um, the social choice uh, theory or the social code which is a theoretical framework for the analysis of combining individual opinion preferences, interests, or welfares to reach a collective decision. You know, how do you manifest or begin to organize pluralism, right? Um, because what you want as an individual might not be what is good for the collective. And so quadratic voting is potentially one of those tools that can straddle those both, because you have normally around 100 votes, which you then actually lay out into different proposals. And because it's um, delivered through a quad, uh, quadratic voting app, which takes a square root, it means that the smaller the votes that you place onto different proposals, the actually higher chance that they have effectivity. So this is actually very... Um, if anyone wants to talk about quadratic voting afterwards, or use Signet even better, I would be very happy to do so. It's um, quite complicated, I think, to speak in a few minutes about it. But in essence, what using quadratic voting does, specifically for communities, it means that, firstly, you are able to understand what your community wants, because you personally have to read those proposals. Saying that, I think that it's important to look at from what I understand of Black Swan Dow, to think about voting fatigue and therefore to microgrid these communities. And so this is also a question of translocality, scalability. So instead of trying to create these megalithic structures of communities, which, you know, I personally don't have time to read 500 applications. However, I would really be interested in reading 20 of people that are within my community that I specifically want to create peer support with. That also means that you can potentially, and we found within an art space, to offer an alternative model of economics. If I read your proposal and you're basically asking for X sum of money to, for a videographer, and I am a videographer and I know that you write amazing text, and you don't get that through that particular proposal phase, I can actually create a skill exchange with you, or at least propose it. And you can also find projects that you band together as well. So all of these sort of social imprints are at the very sort of root um, and underpinning of how I think about technology and how I've been lucky enough to find myself within a group of people who do as well. There's one other thing that I think is kind of novel about Signet in that is that it works on the moon cycle. So also changing the way in which we think about 
the iterations of how we propose and manifest and how our community moves and directs. Um, uh, intrinsically, the moon cycle in my belief system is that you manifest something on a new moon and it comes to fruition on a full moon. And that's actually how Signet works. Um, running parallel to Black Swan is something that I've been working with, uh, with Ruth Catlow, and it's called Radical Friends. And when we began thinking about how DAOs work as social frameworks, um, when we found each other, we actually got really excited and decided that we wanted to create this um, entire group of people thinking similar to us. And then we realized that, no, there weren't any group per se. So we decided to gather all of the people that we were connected to or that we heard about within our network together. And through that, we did a numerous um, think tanks that were actually not made public initially, um, which were supported by Serpentine Galleries and Nagorti Institute. And then we went on to create different public iterations of that, which also included outsourcing knowledge from specific social actors within the Web3 scene to places that wouldn't necessarily accommodate um, Web3 thinking in order to really test and maybe learn and research about how accessibility and security um, for those users and for those practitioners can evolve. Um, through Radical Friends, the way they, or the core problems, I guess, that we were addressing was really about how diverse communities can be kind of empowered and take collective action in their own interests. And what were the physical spaces and social re relationships that this type of thinking around decentralized autonomous organizations produce, generate, and service? The activation of this was really a hope to create a global mesh network of radical friendship which was actually inspired by a number of external figures to the Web3 interface space. So people like Octavia Butler really inspired and highlighted this need to reassess change and run with chaos. People like Simone Weil, who stressed that our political, spiritual and social uprootedness demands real active and natural participation in the life of a community to be able to feel part of that community and to exist as social human beings. And entangling these visionary thinkers with my own experience of DAOs, this is actually what really made up the book and many of the works that we created within that. Um, and probably, I think, Ria Myers, who's part of the book and heavily influenced um, the work, Let a Thousand DAOs Bloom, was this kind of offering of the tools of demystification, interdependence, and consensus building. In the past, especially within Web2, social media has packaged the principles of connectivity, rationality, and revolution into the front end. But people are now starting to see this as an aggregate that it is. Many of are now migrating to things like Discord, where radical ideas can spiral and sprawl instead of being repackaged in endless infographics. What DAOs offer these communities is the ability to organize privately with transparency, to hold their own funds, and to create consensus between radically pluralistic 
and connective nodes. Through how I understand DAOs and the experimental social play, within having artists and history and politics and technological systems as an approach for organizing is extremely important to me because as Kia Kreitler says, she thinks of them as kind of operational manifestos. And I think, what are the manifestos that we want to live under? You know, who gets to have the authority to make reality? And what does that mean when we are given the chance to test out and create conversations about the worlds to which we want to live in, the organizing systems that we want to participate within? And this is definitely not some sort of utopic notion, always. There is a lot of harm and difficulty that can be brought about in terms of creating these organizing systems within decentralized autonomous organizations. But that's exactly the reason why I think that we need to be um, participating within them. Because if we do not, they will flow and run. And I think that there is probably many traps along the way, as we spoke about earlier. But I think as well, unless we begin to accommodate the plurality of possibilities of worlding, then we won't be able to participate and function within the next worlds that other people will appropriate and position for you. Thank you very much.